Hello, Radio Cachimbona listeners. This is episode 48 of season 5 of Radio Cachimbona. Radio Cachimbona is an abolitionist podcast that audio archives state repression and fierce migrant resistance in the southern Arizona borderlands and breaks down case law and politics from a leftist perspective. As a first-generation professional whose parents are Salvadoran immigrants, Yvette prioritizes uplifting the voices and histories of Central Americans. This was an amazing interview I had with Carlos Sauceda about his campaign to return home to the United States. We talked about the deplorable conditions in ICE detention centers that cause people to, quote, self-deport and how the deportation of one person affects whole families and communities. This discussion is grounded in the Lit Review pick that is the book Deported Americans by Beth Caldwell. Thank you to everyone who has helped Radio Cachimona get 4.9 rating on Apple and a 5.0 rating on Spotify. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you all so much for supporting the podcast and I hope that you all enjoy this episode. Bye! Hello, Cachimbonas. Today, I am very excited to have Carlos Sauceda here. He is someone who is fighting to get back to the U.S. He's leading the campaign to hashtag bring Carlos home. And we are going to be talking today about Deported Americans by Beth Caldwell. Honor that you're here to discuss this with me because you have direct lived experience about what Caldwell is talking about. So I just really value your insight so much. Thank you for sharing your story with the Cachimbonas. Thank you so much, Yvette, for uh, giving me this opportunity to be here with you today. And uh, it's a pleasure to be able to uh, speak about the situation that I'm going through, but as well as the situation that is happening to many other families and people in the United States. Yes, exactly. Um, Carlos, I wanted to start with having you share your deportation story and your fight to come back home a little bit to better ground the listeners in your experience. Yeah, so um, my experience started in uh, 2017, the end of 2017, November to be exact. And uh, as many other people, I myself grew up in the U.S. since I was a kid. and I never thought that something like this could happen mm. to me because I was a I had a resident card, mm-hmm. you know. And, and being a kid at that time, you know, you don't think about stuff uh, such as eyes. At that time, my eyes didn't even exist. Yeah. So it was something that was never on my mind. But uh, I got in trouble as a youth and uh, spent a lot of time incarcerated. And that's when eyes um, contact me a week prior to being released. Wow. And it was interesting how they approached me because it was a phone call. Uh, they called me into this office. They said, hey, I just want to talk to you. And um, I told them, I said, uh, what's the situation? And they said, well, we might pick you up, but we don't know yet. You have a hold and there's a possibility that we'll go get you. But we don't know. And that's something that at that time, I was like, how, how is it that you're going to play with my feelings? But not only mine, but my family, because they were yeah. waiting for me to come home. And now they're telling me we might, but we don't know, but you have a hold. And, you know, sadly, I had to tell my family, hey, uh, 
don't come pick me up mm. uh, because I just believe that they will come for me. And it was really hard on my family. That's the beginning of the pain and suffering that I never thought I could inflict on my family. Because from that moment, my family was like, wait a minute, like, this is impossible. This is your home. Mm -hmm. What do you mean ICE is going to pick you up? You know, you were here as a legal resident. And that's something that we could just go to a court and, and fix it. So my family didn't understand the whole situation. And sure enough, the day that I was being released, I was walking through um, the receiving and releasing area. And I'm walking on the line that everybody that gets released goes through. And then one officer called my name and, um, you know, I answered and he said, uh, oh, you need to step out from that line. And I said, but I'm going home. I'm like, I'm being released. And he said, no, you're not being released, at least not to your home. He said, uh, you're being released to those officers over there at the corner. And that's when I looked and um, there was officers that uh, were sent to pick me up and uh, arrest me. So I was never allowed even to walk out as a free man. Um, I was taken to an office in Sacramento. And that's when uh, my nightmare started with uh, immigration and deportation. At that moment, as soon as I arrived at that office, an officer started telling me, hey, uh, you need to sign these papers. We're going to get you home as soon as possible. And you don't have to waste our time and you don't have to waste. And I, I told them both. Mm. I said, this is my home. Right. I said, are you going to release me after I sign these papers? Do I need to call my family so that they could come and pick me up? And he said, uh, this is not your home. Mm. He said, we're going to send you home. Wow. And I told him, well, wait a minute. I said, you, I said you're, you're confusing me because this is my home. This has been my home since I was a child. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, I'm, this is not your home. And uh, it's best for you to just sign this. Because he said, let me make it clear to you. You will never get out from the detention center. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I just, you know, I just said, well, I have to fight not only for myself, but for my family, you know, and I told him I'm not signing any documents. I said, uh, are you a judge? And he said, no, I'm an, I'm an ICE officer. I said, well, can you please allow a judge to say if I could remain in this country or not? And he said, well, we could do that. But he said, uh, let me tell you that we will not let you stay here. We'll make sure that you stay in custody. And that's just the way it's going to be. And I said, well, let a judge be the one that decides that. So I didn't sign no documents and they moved me to a detention center in Marysville called Yuba City County Jail. Mm -hmm. And I just never thought that this was possible. It's, uh, you know, I worked really hard to earn my freedom. Freedom wasn't given to me. I earned it through mm -hmm. rehabilitation to change. And I had many dreams to go back out to the community, make amends, give back to the community. And at that moment, everything was taken from me. Here I found myself at a county jail and it was just something like a nightmare. I spent, I got to this county jail at 10 a.m. It was 6 a.m. from the next day and I was still sitting on the floor waiting to be placed at a, at a cell. And at that moment, this place was new to me. But uh, I quickly found out why the Yuba County Jail was uh, under a consent decree from the courts mm. because of all the, 
all the abuses, the lack of mental health, the lack of programming, the lack of exercise, everything was bad in there. And um, as soon as I got there, I was like, you know, this, this is, this is not happening. This, this can't be the United States because mm. I started witnessing the abuse from a lot of the the sheriffs telling people, hey, uh, you need to sign, you need to leave. This is not your country. I couldn't believe that these officers were saying that to people. I started looking at people in shower shoes. They weren't allowed to have shoes. And I experienced why that was so painful because when I went to my first court in uh, immigration, they came and woke me up at 2 a.m., I was placed in a in a holding cell from 4 a.m. to like 5.30 in shower shoes. And I was driven to Sacramento. And it was really, really cold. And once we got to the um, ICE facility that we were going to have my court hearing, we were placed in this uh, freezers that they call, which mm-hmm. is uh, holding cells. And it was so painful to be wearing shower shoes and uh, sitting there for almost half of your day waiting to go inside the court. And it's something that I never forgot because, you know, my fit, my toes were numb, my body was aching. And when I returned, I said, man, this is, uh, this is going to be really painful. This is going to be an experience that I'm never going to forget. And it was, I spent 16 months at the Yuba County jail, which were hell. I mean, mm. it's, uh, people walking around with broken fingers, uh, people that had cancer being denied medical treatment. After six months, I was diagnosed with uh, high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. They did exams on me and and they realized that it was due to stress. The stress of being in there and the treatment that we were receiving, we were pretty much in solitary confinement because we spent the majority of, of our days inside the cells. And one day they came and did a, a blood pressure check on me at 5 a.m. And one of the nurses looked at the officer and said, you know, this guy is about to have a heart attack. His blood pressure is so high that he's going to have a heart attack. The officer looked at me and said, we'll be back for you. That was at 5 a.m. He walked out with that nurse. And at that moment, I you know, I kept telling myself, well, they're they, they going to come back. You know, they just said that I'm about to have a heart attack. So I started doing all these breathing exercises, trying to calm myself down because of what the nurse just finished telling me. I remember sitting on my bunk. One hour went by, two hours went by, three hours went by. It was 3 p.m. And I was still sitting in that cell trying to calm myself down. At that moment, another shift came. They actually saw the paper in medical. And they came up and they were like, oh, we apologize. We're going to take you down there. But the whole day, what went through my mind was, I'm going to die in here and they're just going to leave me here. Mm. They didn't care that they were told that I was about to have a heart attack. They didn't think that I have a family. They didn't think that I consider myself an American because I grew up in the U.S. Mm -hmm. That all my family is a U.S. citizen and they just ignore me. Like if I was not a human being. Right. And during those moments, that's when myself and other people, we decided to sacrifice ourselves and participated in multiple hunger strikes 
to bring awareness to the situation. And after the third hunger strike, they decided to retaliate against me for peacefully asking for medical care and more programming. And uh, they were trying to move me out of state. Thankfully, uh, the community found out and a lot of people from the community started calling ICE and that's what stopped them from from them moving me out of state. Mm. So they moved me from Northern California to Southern California to Mesa Verde. But uh, the damage was already done psychologically, emotionally. I was in a lot of pain. I was hurting. I wasn't able to see my family because of the distances. And during that time, I won my uh, my immigration case. And it was one of those moments that the judge granted me CAT, which is Convention Against uh, Torture. Mm-hmm. And the moment I received the news, I was happy. I told myself, man, this nightmare is finally coming to an end. I called my family and I was like, well, you know, I'll let you guys know when to come pick me up. And I waited and I remember the following day two ICE agents came to my door and I'm thinking, well, I'm going to sign papers. And they came and said, hey, um, we got the news that you won your case. And we're here to tell you that we're not going to let you go home, Mm. that we will keep you here. We will appeal this decision, but just know that you're not going to go anywhere. I felt like I was being crushed against the wall because I'm looking at them and I'm like, they're professionals, you know, and here they are talking to me, letting me know that even though I had won my case, they were not going to respect that decision and that they were going to keep me in detention, in jail, pretty much. Sure enough, they appealed the case. I went to Mesa Verde and the BIA sadly agreed with the government. Mm. and. They didn't give me no reason. They just simply said, we agree with the government's uh, appeal and we order you removed. Wow. My case went up to the Ninth Circuit. Um, I have already two years in immigration center, to be exact, 25 months. The pain was just too much. The hurt was too much. Because you had to be detained the whole time that you saw your case. Exactly. So that 25 months was the time that you spent making your case, your cat case, winning it, and then through the appeal. Yes. Even. It was all this process, and it's interesting, right? They have this, I would call it a, a I mean, I don't know what to call it because they said it's a system which is where they do the parole interview, where you go in front of this ICE agent mm-hmm. and, and you explain to him, your rehabilitation, your support. If they release you, what is it you're going to do outside? And um, I went in front of this ICE officer and he looked at me. He said, man, you have too much rehabilitation. He said, you have tremendous rehabilitation. I see you have support from the community. You have your family. You have job offer. You have everything that is needed. He said, let me take this up with my supervisor and we'll contact you and let you know if your release is approved. Within three days, he calls me back and he said, oh, it was denied. And I said, denied? I'm like, this is the things that you asked for me and that you said that they were needed. 
to prove and I have proven you. He said, well, my supervisor just feels that it's not enough and we're going to keep you in custody. At that moment, you just don't understand because it's like psychologically they're playing with you. They're hurting Mm -hmm. you, torturing you. But not only that, they don't think that you have a family out there that's waiting for you. Mm. They don't care about any of that. Or they're just like refusing to accept that reality because you showed them that you have community support. Exactly. I mean, everything that I that they asked, I proved them. Even when the judge uh, ruled on my favor, she clearly told them this person is rehabilitated, has proven his case with evidence and testimonial. And still, they they just didn't want to accept that they have lost in court. And after 25 months, Yvette, uh, it was just, like I said, the hurt was too much. I really, really was hurting seeing my family cry all the time because they couldn't comprehend how we won our case. But yet, I was still being detained. Right. The separation, you know, the distance from family, from my wife. Everybody was hurting. So it was a bad situation for everybody. And one day I got up in the middle of the night and I just felt like my heart was going to explode. I felt like I was having a heart attack. I couldn't breathe. And I remember just telling myself, I just can't take it because I just felt that they were breaking me little by little. At that moment, I realized that I had to make the hardest decision I have ever made in my life. And that was to tell the ICE agents, hey, just let me go because I felt like I was dying in there. And at that moment, I I thought about my mom and I said, the last thing I want to do is have my mom or my wife or my family to have to come to a detention center and carry me out in a box because I, was, I wasn't released. I didn't want to- Because your health was so- a real, that was a real possibility. Exactly. I, I felt that I was dying. The blood pressure was really bad. And I just couldn't do that to my family. I was like, I'm not going to let them go through this pain to have to carry me out in a box. And, you know, it was tough. It's tough to tell these officers, hey, go ahead and kick me out. Because you're not sending me home. You're kicking me out from my home. Mm-hmm. But at that moment, I said, I'm going to be free and I'm going to run. I'm going to run for my life and wait to see how this process ends because I believe that I have proven my case to the immigration court. Mm-hmm. I contacted the ICE agent. They came and I said, I'm ready to go. And he looked at me. And he said, wow. He goes, we finally got you to quit. It was like it took us all two years, but he goes, uh, we were not going to let you go. So you were going to be here forever if it was up to us. He said, but uh, we're glad that you gave up and now we're going to get rid of you and we're going to send you back to your home. And mm. it was so painful to hear those words coming from this officer. But um, I just didn't have it no more to continue to fight. I remember I put my head down and I walked. And at that moment, I was just I was lost. I felt that I was letting go of a part that was in my heart, which is my home. And within two weeks, they moved me to Adelanto. And from Adelanto, we went through the whole deportation process, which 
it was another experience that I ain't never going to forget. Humiliating, hurtful, being placed in a holding cell, so small with like 50 people. And they turn the lights mm. off in, in the night so that you don't ask them anything. You just feel the agony of the people next to you. You can't move. Everybody just like sardines stuck in a can. And um, I remember the they moved us. And the next day, while they were getting us on board on the plane, the day prior to that, when they were passing out sack lunches, which is what they give you for food, they ran out of food. And I was one of the persons that they didn't give food to. Wow. I was the last person. And they were like, oh, man, we ran out. And don't worry about it. You know, we'll give you something tomorrow. So I went the whole night without eating. But uh, at that moment, I wasn't thinking about food. I was hurting because I was leaving home. I was being separated from my family. And the next day, when they were boarding us into the plane, the officer said, hey, uh, I remember you. You were the one that didn't get to eat yesterday. So I'm going to give you double. And I said, nah. I said, I don't want food. But if I could ask something, I said, can I please sit down by the window? He looked at me. He was like, that's what you want? He said, you don't want food? And I said, that's what I want. He sat me at a window. And for me, that was something that I wanted to do because as I looked outside the window, I told myself, this is home. Like I couldn't believe that they were kicking me out from my own home. and. I remember just, you know, having tears in my eyes as, as we were taking out because I looked and I said, I know I will come back. I will come back because this is my home. But I just wanted to have that one last look. Mm. And that's how my whole deportation uh, took place. I was deported back to the country I was born in Central America. Mm. It was a very sad moment to be welcomed in this place that they said it was home and be welcomed by the police telling you, telling me, you're not welcome here. You're a piece of, you know, they started using profanity. They were like, we don't want you here because I didn't know anything about this place. And they were so upset because they were asking me things. And I was like, I haven't been here since I was a kid. Like, I don't know anything about here. And I remember one of the officers telling me, I hope you run because when I catch you, you're going to regret ever coming back to this country. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm just like, this is a police officer and he's threatening me. And the only reason I was able to get out from the airport because they were actually trying to arrest me because I, of course, I didn't have no documents from there. Mm. I didn't know anything from there. And they were asking me so many questions. I was like, I don't know anything here. One of the officers said, "We, you know what? We're just going to take you with us. You're going to be arrested. You don't have any documents. And a nurse came and this nurse was like, oh, you know, I, I need this, this man. He has medication. I need to take his blood pressure. And the nurse took me to his other room and the nurse said, look, do not go with them. If you go with them, they will kill you. Wow. And at that moment, I was just, I didn't know what to do. I was just like, I can't believe it. It's like, it's something that you just don't think is possible. But it was happening to me. And I couldn't believe that the ICE agents had sent my file from my past with my tattoos to tell them this is who I was when I was no longer that person. 
Right. I had proven that in court through rehabilitation and all these things, but they were still using this to not only hurt me, but to hurt my family. And when the nurse said that to me, I said, look, my mom is outside. And she said, if I have a break, I will call her and I will tell her that if she doesn't claim you, you will be killed. She went out on her break and I didn't know what was happening, but she called my mom's name and told my mom, if you don't ask for your son, your son will be arrested and you will never see him again. So my mom, who is a U.S. citizen, went to uh, an officer and told them, if you don't release my son, because everybody had walked out already, mm. I will go to the U.S. Embassy and I will make an issue out of this. This officer came in, spoke to the officers that were talking to me, and one of the officers got really upset. He looked at me directly in the eyes and he said, I told you you're a punk. Your mom is out there crying for you. Wow. He said, I'm going to let you go. But remember, he goes, when you see me coming, you're going to regret it because I will disappear you. I remember I grabbed my bag and I didn't even have time to enjoy seeing my mother again because mm -hmm. I told her, mom, we have to run. We have to run and get away from here as fast as we can. And that's what we did. I ran. And the time that I spent in this country was almost a year and a half until I was able to escape because the threats against my life, the threats against my family were there. So my family was uh, so stressed out that when we had an opportunity to leave, I escaped. I left. Right. And that's how my whole situation came to be. Thank you so much for sharing. I think that there's a lot in it. The migrant community should think about and know, you know, including the fact that legal permanent residency is actually a precarious legal status in the sense that the involvement in the legal system can put you in deportation proceedings, which was your experience. And I appreciate you highlighting how at every juncture, whether it was the ICE or the BIA, the Board of Immigration Appeals, or the police from your country of origin that were harassing you as soon as you landed, none of the immigration detention system is about rehabilitation. This one mistake you made when you were very young, actually, is what the government uses to define you and sort of refuses to let you out of that box that they have constructed for you. I hope that's opening for many people because I think a lot of people justify these punishment systems by saying that they're like rehabilitating people who have caused harm, but that was actually something that was refused to you and definitely not something that I helped with, you know, if anything, just caused you more trauma and made it more difficult to heal. It's really hard. Uh, I know some people, you know, it's, it's hard for people to understand, but uh, as you said, in order for you to know, you, you must know the story. You must know how everything came to be. And like you said, I mean, my story started very young, to be exact, 15 years old. And I went through a whole process, like I said, not 
the freedom wasn't given to me. I earned it. Mm-hmm. And this earning was through a lot of rehabilitation, a lot of work, a lot of therapy, even working with community from inside to give back to the community. And all of that was acknowledged by the judge, mm. but it was denied by ICE and this system that is just broken completely. Interesting enough, after that, you know, my case went to the Ninth Circuit. And in the Ninth Circuit, the judges agree with the judge's decision and even told the prosecutor from uh, the government, why is it that Mr. Salcedo is not here when his evidence is so clear? Why is it? And and the government and prosecutor didn't have a response. They sent my case back to the BIA. And for the third time, finally, the BIA agreed with the judge's decision and the Ninth Circuit and granted me the status of CAT, which is the Convention Against Torture. And you think that that will solve all the problems, but I'm still away from home, even though I have status in the U.S. ICE, you know, we contact them and they are still using that one poor decision that I made when I was 15 years old to say, we don't care that he has won in immigration in all the levels. We're still going to deny him the entry back into the U.S. And that's something that is, is very, very painful to understand because who wins in a court, but yes, yeah, still loses. And I'm experiencing that. But like I said, and I want people that listen to your podcast to understand that this pain and this hurt and this suffering is placed on our families too, who are innocent victims of this system because my family is hurting. My mom is 71 years old and she still hopes and is waiting for me to return home because she's like, we won. Why is it that these people won't allow you to return home? So I want the people to be aware, like you said, that, you know, having a green card still doesn't protect you. Mm-hmm. And even winning an immigration process, I, at the end of the day, they do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Just like they could find a paper and say, you know, we'll allow you to return because they have that much power to say that. But they're choosing not to. They're choosing to separate me and my family, even though we had one in every court that there is. Yeah, that's something that actually I really appreciated about Beth Caldwell's book is that she the experiences of people who have been deported, but also on their family members. And she says she does this, quote, to challenge the false dichotomy between felons and families that has been drawn in popular discourse. And I you continually emphasizing that that this is something that has been a punishment not just for you but for your mom for your wife and for your extended family members not that this are U.S. citizens and so that's something Caldwell discusses is how this has actually been a long-standing U.S. historical practice is punishing U.S. citizen women who marry people who were born and your mother also suffers as someone who is forcibly separated from her son so 
thank you for showing that that slogan of Obama's was so patently offensive of felons not how ICE continues to live that through. You know, you mentioned multiple times that even though you tried to show like I have a family waiting for me, that wasn't the reality that they were willing to accept when looking at you. Yes. I mean, after reading the book, you know, this is something that I share with my wife and even my family. I said, this book just hits the mark because in every aspect from how the law doesn't have these remedies that, for example, in my case, you win, but yet they still don't want to acknowledge that I won and the judge cannot say anything. ICE has the power. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, when it talks about the families, the suffering, the immigration situation that I'm going through is it's not only happening to us, but it's happening to so many other families. And I have spoken to a lot of families from people that was detained. And it's the same, the hurt, the feeling of, it's like this person is dying because they're separated from you and you feel like you will never be able to reconnect and spend those special moments with them. In my case, the separation between me and my wife, even though she's a U.S. citizen. And, you know, we went through the whole process and we won. There's still no remedy for her. Mm -hmm. She Mm -hmm. actually left the U.S. to be reunited with me. And it's just so painful. You know, it's, it's bad for everybody. It's ironic because there's been this series of Supreme Court decisions that have expanded the right to marriage. And part of that was like, was talking about the centrality of marriage and how important it is in this country and actually like there's this long history of punishing U.S. citizen women who fall in love with people who are not born in the U.S. and having to go their U.S. citizenship in order to actually be with their person. Exactly. I mean it's uh they talk about it you know being something very important and everything and uh it's sad that they do punish, you know, women that are married to people who are not U.S. citizens. Uh, in my wife's case, she's a professional, you know, somebody that was a productive member in the community. Mm-hmm. And she left all of that, left her home, left their family, her mom, all, everything. Everything is left because she wanted to reunite with me and, uh, the ICE agency wouldn't allow us to to do that, even though we have the legal status to be able to do that. So it was a tough decision on my wife, but she did it. And uh, now she's here going through the struggles with me, being separated from her family, mm-hmm. uh, even though she has the citizenship that many people will want to have. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything because... She's separated from her home. She's separated from her family. She's here with me. And it's it's, it's bad. I mean, uh, I hope people will understand that she doesn't deserve that. And none of the other family members that are going through this deserve that. Right. If I was to ask an ICE agent, he would probably tell me, oh, well, your wife is a U.S. citizen. She could come back anytime she wants to. Right. But yeah, that would mean being separated from the person that she married. Right. So it's like you, you're putting her against the wall. 
either choose home or choose to be with the person you chose to be with. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe that they're doing that to women in the U.S. Right. You mentioned that you've talked to so many families that are in similar situations to yours. And it made me think about how Beth Caldwell refers to deported Americans as a kind of diaspora. And she mm-hmm. as um, the movement, migration, or scattering of people away from an established or ancestral homeland, and wanted to ask if you identify as being a part of a United States diaspora. Yes, I do. I mean, I was removed from my home, right? And until this day, you know, it's been it's been almost three years that I haven't been home. And there's not one day that goes by that I don't think about home. Mm. You know, it's hurt to still find myself in this situation and be away from my home. So that's why, I mean, I I became an advocate for immigrant rights. I joined the advocacy group called the Yuba Liberation Coalition, Mm. who helped to shut down the contract from the Yuba County Jail. Right. I was going to bring that up. The conditions there were so bad that like it was a huge movement that formed to get ICE out of that jail. Yes. I mean, we started uh, like I I was telling you, right. uh, We didn't know it was uh, organizing, but we came together as a group and decided to buy a pair of shoes. And with that pair of shoes, we used to pass it along to people Mm. so that they could go to court and at least not experience that pain and hurt in their toes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, with the help of the community, we were able to buy a pair of shoes for everybody. So everybody had a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. And this organizing started like that. But for me, witnessing all the abuses that took place at the Yuba County Jail, I remember telling the sheriff one day, I said, when I get out, you guys will hear from me because I will stand outside and be loud and clear let the people know how you guys are abusing all the human beings that are housed in this place. Mm. And I never forgot that the sheriff said, he laughed and said, your voice won't matter anything. There's so much money that we get that nobody will listen to you guys. So when I left and I was deported, I couldn't stay quiet, even though I was removed from home my heart still remained at home. Right. And I told myself that I will fight for those that were at home. And that's how I joined this group. And together we were able to shut down the contract. Something that they told me it was impossible. Right. Even though I wasn't there physically, I know they heard my voice loud and clear when they mm. told them that the contract was over. So for me, it was one of those moments that I said, this will never happen to another person. What I experienced will never happen to another human being. And it was a moment of happiness, joy, and also sadness because the abuse went back to 1979, I believe, 80, 90, 2000s. I got there into 2017 and it was still happening. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad that it took that long but I was glad that it wouldn't happen anymore to anybody. So the Yuba Liberation Coalition was just a group of people that came together and, and we fought. 
we fought until we made it possible and uh, it was the community coming together. So great things happen when people come together. Yeah, definitely. That's so amazing. I appreciate your perspective too, because you're somebody who was incarcerated for a long time in federal prison. And about that time as one in which you had access to some rehabilitative services and how the switch from that place to the Yuba County Jail was shocking in terms of changing conditions. And I don't say that to normalize like the conditions of federal prisons. I don't think that those are good, but Mm -hmm. I still just appreciate your perspective because your own personal assessment is that things are like shockingly worse for people who are detained in county jails, whether that be ICE or otherwise. Just appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I spent 22 years in state prison. Oh. Yeah, state prison. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's something that I, it was so shocking to me to be in state prison and be given this opportunity to rehabilitate, to program, to have this, even your spiritual aspect, to be allowed to go to church and practice your religion mm. and then going to an ICE detention center and being denied. Mm. And it, it was so shocking to me that they said, well, you're not an inmate. You're a civil detainee. Mm-hmm. So you're treating me worse than when I was actually an inmate. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's not to normalize. Mm-hmm. But for somebody that experienced that, I couldn't believe that programs were being denied. People trying to practice their religion, it was being denied. All these things that I was like, wait a minute, like, how is this possible? But that's how inhumane the detention centers are. That's why I always tell people I believe that all these detention centers need to be shut down Mm -hmm. because we could do so much better to every human being that lives in the U.S. And detention centers is not the answer. Yeah, I appreciate that so much. I think the last question that I um, something. I thought about when reading Deported Americans was how there's a significant number of Central Americans who have resettled in Mexico after deportation for a variety of reasons, including safety and progress in their families, and found that really interesting and just wanted to ask if you ever considered resettling in Mexico for those reasons, or if that was not something that was really an option for you. No, I I thought about it. I mean, I, you know, I thought about it because of the proximity, how close it is to to the U.S. But at the same time, for safety concerns, I couldn't do it. Mm. It was something that I thought about. But then after, you know, talking to my family, it was just impossible because of safety issues. So um, that's why I decided that I have to escape the country that I was in. But. I found an option and it was something that I needed to do because my life was in danger. That's why I chose to leave and uh, I didn't move to Mexico because of safety concerns. Yeah, and I just want to explain for folks, 
under the Convention Against Torture means that the judge found you were, it was more likely than not that if you were deported to your country of origin or birth, then you would face state torture. And that is the position that you were placed in. And I think it totally shatters any kind of illusion about the U.S. immigration system being one that protects refugees, people that are in danger from persecution or by the government of the country that they were born in. Yes, you're correct. I mean, uh, CAD, Convention Against Torture, the judge says it, you know, this is a person that will be more likely not killed, tortured, mm-hmm. is returned to his country. And it's not an easy thing to prove. You have to have tremendous evidence. Yeah. You have to be able to convince because it's your testimony and other testimonies, evidence. And like you said, it goes to tell you how the U.S. doesn't protect the refugees or asylum seekers because I'm one of those cases that one and it just being ignored. It just to them, it's not something that is a concern, even though I had won my case. And they're doing it, like I said, not not only to myself, but to many other people. Um, you know, I keep reading the book. I highlighted so many things that I'm just like, it's packed with the truth because he talks about that. The remedies, there is no remedies. The system needs to to change. It needs to improve. You know, I find myself still in this fight, even though I won already in three different occasions. Right. right now, we have a humanitarian parole application asking them again to please allow me to return home. Uh, we have a pardon application with the governor of California mm. because that will allow me to reinstate my green card and allow me to return mm-hmm. home. But we're doing all these things when it should be clear this man won. He should be here. Instead, we find ourselves in this battle that are happening with so many other families too. So um, I'm thankful that I've been given this opportunity to read this book because I connect with many of the stories that I, I hear and in, in seeing Deported Americans by Beth Cowell. And she puts it really well, man. It's uh, It's something that for us, it feels like we died. Mm. You know, when, when you leave home, that's something that stuck to me that, you experience this feeling of loss, like like somebody died, mm-hmm. and it's you who feels like that because it's you the one that's being removed from your own home. And you know, there's so many things on this book that I think we could have many other uh, conversations, but uh, it's really, really a great book. Yeah, it really is. And thank you so much for sharing your lived experience with with me to discuss this book. I think it added such a richness to the conversation. And how can people support your case? You know, you mentioned this pardon to the governor, a few other legal avenues you're pursuing to try and get back. How can people follow your case and support you in it? First and foremost, thank you for this opportunity to allow me to be here. Thank you to your listeners and everybody that it's involved in the in the fight and the battle for immigrant rights. To support my my case and my family's fight, you could go to um, my Instagram page, which is at Bring Carlos Home, all lowercase letters. So you go in at 
bring Carlos home on Instagram, and there you'll find the information to sign the petition for me to be allowed to return home, as well as sign a letter for the governor of California and different other ways that you could help me support my fight to return home. But uh, all you have to do is go on Instagram at bring Carlos home. And right there, you can see all the different ways to support my fight. I really appreciate it. You know, if your listeners could go in there and follow my page so that they get the information so that they always stay tuned into, you know, the videos that I put out there about my fight, not only my fight, but everybody's fight in the immigration system. And that's the way they could support me. Awesome. So I've been asking people this season is what is something that has been inspiring you lately? Because, you know, we are here for the long fight for the lifelong fight. So once we get you home, there will be other fights to fight. What is inspiring you to stay committed? You know what inspires me all the time to stay committed? It's the heart of the people in the U.S. Mm. I always tell people, um, I believe in people's heart in the U.S. And they have beautiful hearts. Mm. I know there's more good people than bad. And, you know, I have met so many amazing people in this space, in this battle. They fight for those that don't have a voice. And if you're in that fight, I'm going to fight till the end. So what inspires me is the heart of the people fighting for those that don't have a voice. That's what inspires me. Carlos, thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your Saturday. And thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Radio Cachimbona. Radio Cachimbona is an abolitionist podcast hosted and produced by Yvette Borja. The audio archives state repression and fierce migrant resistance in the southern Arizona borderlands and breaks down case law and politics from a leftist perspective. Yvette prioritizes uplifting the voices and histories of Central Americans as a first-generation professional whose parents are Salvadoran immigrants. If you are curious about the book and want to hear more about it, you should join the Lit Review, a patron-exclusive set of episodes where I do book club-style chats with other women of color. Please go to patreon.com slash become a patron to hear more. For three, five, or ten dollars a month, you really support the podcast and get sustainable for me. You can support the podcast in a completely free way by following at Radio Cachimbona on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, sharing the podcast with whoever you think will benefit from listening to it. Also, leaving five star rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I really, really appreciate it. Bye, Cachimbonas.